Hello and welcome back to the God's Story podcast. I'm Brent Siddle and I'm joined once again in Palmerston North, New Zealand by, at King's Grace Presbyterian Church, Palmerston North, by Rido, my co-host for the show, the Reverend Ian Reid. Ian, hi, welcome back. Hi Brent, how are we today? I'm good, thank you. Now, um, having tackled that very difficult passage at the end of chapter 9 last time, uh, today we're looking at chapter 10 verses 1 to 31 in a podcast that we've entitled Given Not Taken. Now, in what ways does the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus hang deeply over our passage today and indeed over this whole section of Mark's gospel? Well, Jesus has already predicted his death three times uh, and his resurrection. Uh, three times so far and but Jesus has been heading away from Jerusalem uh, and we're getting further and further away from that being fulfilled but in this passage we see Jesus kind of turn around and start start his journey back uh, towards Jerusalem. Why did you call, well actually you didn't, you called your sermon Given Not Taken which is the title I've lifted for the podcast but why did you call your sermon Given Not Taken? Because what we see is three different <coughs> topics being covered here uh, and in all three of them, we need to see that it's the kingdom, the kingdom of God must be given to us rather than taken by any force. And we cannot take it for ourselves, but it has to be given by God. What do we learn about the kingdom of God in today's passage then? It's not like the kingdoms of this world. And particularly, it has, it's about service and us giving up, in fact, giving up everything uh, and by doing that, we are, we are then given it from you know kind of the kingdom from God, where everything else in our in our lives is what what do we want to do? We want to take, and that's what the world, that's how the world functions, is that it's all about taking things for ourselves and working our way to something. Where what we see here is the total opposite. It's that it's upside down. It has to be given to us. Mm. Okay, well let's have a look at uh, chapter ten, verses one to twelve. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Okay, now what's important about the geography in today's passage, Ian? So G G uh, sorry, Jesus says that he went into the region region of Judea and across the Jordan. So it sounds like he's, is he just outside of Israel um, by crossing the Jordan? Uh, but the, the big thing is that this is re the area that is controlled by Herod. Uh, ah. So this is the big thing, I think, that it's kind of, that's being used here is that he's in this region where Herod is basically is the king and the ruler. And Herod has a very tricky marriage and divorce situation, doesn't he? So he, he's married. Is he married at this point? I think, I don't know. But it, he's with, shall we say, Herodias, uh, who we've already met, 
who seems like a lovely character. She seems like a lovely lady, doesn't she? Oh, she's the lady that beheads John the Baptist or, or asks or, uh, ask for his head on a plate. Yeah, at, at, a, at a dinner party. Who was Herod's brother's wife, but also his half sister, I believe. Right. <laughs> yes, it's compl- it's a complicated family. Yeah, <laughs> obviously the Herods, yeah, like, the colourful blended family that one. <laughs> yeah. Now, okay, then. So we've got the now the Pharisees are being quite tricky here, then, aren't they? Asking this question. Why are they asking this question about divorce? I wonder why. In here in verse two, in this very place and time. Yeah, I think they're trying to trap him to get him to say something so that Herod will do the work of getting rid of Jesus, just like they got rid of John the Baptist. And so it's kind of like this: Hey, we'll come and ask this really difficult question, and we'll make it really awkward for you in the very place that you might get killed. Yes, okay. Uh, How did um, first century Judaism then deal with this whole subject of divorce? This is really quite tricky. Yes, so what they allowed was um, a a certificate of of divorce that that a husband could give a wife, uh, and uh, it was meant Initially, it seems to be meant by Moses as a form of protection for the wife, but they're using it against the women uh, to do the opposite, to basically send them away. And Moses had allowed this. What's the background to the law about divorce in Deuteronomy 24? It's it's to do with protection of the woman, isn't it? Yes, yes. And so it, it was there to do, to protect the woman. It's obviously the idea that uh, initially, at any rate, it protects the woman. Yeah. So what does Jesus say then about the law on divorce? Well, he doesn't say it's bad, right? Yeah, and we need to be careful. That he's, not, he's not saying that the law itself is bad, but he's saying that the problem is with humanity, um, that, that humanity, because of our brokenness... So that, they've, they've abused us. I mean, there are stories about men who their wives burnt the dinner, and so they got, they got divorced. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole system had been abused, and that's what Jesus is attacking. Is that right? Yeah, because and it makes the woman vulnerable right, to be in that situation, that she can get sent away at any time. And so she becomes a servant of the man, of the husband, uh, always afraid of her position kind of in the household. Mm. How does Jesus refer then back to Genesis 1 and 2 here? Well, what he, what he does is he refers to the goodness of marriage. Uh, and this is one of the interesting things that Jesus often does is he refers us back to Adam and Eve and how that kind of state was. Uh, but to show us something important, that when that marriage is good, um, that you know, pre-sin, um, he, you know, kind of marriage is good, they become one flesh, uh, and that they should stay together. Now, he's not, he's not kind of saying that, um, you know, that... Sin now that sin is in the world, we should just try and rec- re- reclaim that that state. What he's saying is he understands that there is sin in the world and that there will be a breakdown in relationships at time. But this is the ideal for for what uh, God hopes for, for for humans. So, is Jesus saying that divorce can never happen? No, I don't think so. Uh, and I think it's the reality of the law, isn't it? That the law recognizes that. Uh, there are breakdowns in in relationships, and that that can happen, uh, or does happen, and it's just it's recognizing that reality rather than saying no, this should never happen. What does Jesus? What Jesus says here in Mark differs though from what he says in Matthew five thirty two. What's what's the difference? 
he talk, well, he talks about, um, he talks about, he, in, in Mark, he's, well, in Mark, he simply says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. Whereas I think in Matthew 5.32, it says, except for Ponea. Yeah. So he kind of, it's like he kind of, people, and people have, uh, scholars have argued about why these two passages in the two Gospels are so different. Because in Mark, it looks as though he's saying, absolutely no divorce at all. Whereas in Matthew, it looks as though he's saying, yes, you, divorce may be permitted for ponea, which people interpret in all sorts of ways. Uh, it can be adultery, um, violence towards the woman, all sorts of things. Yeah. And the word ponea is kind of sexual immorality is how, how we often... Uh, refer to it, so it could be though it could be any of those things. It's interesting that that it is different in Matthew because Matthew gives the exception where Mark doesn't give the exception. I'm not sure why that's the case. You know, kind of, yep. There's a, there's a difference there between the two. Well the, well, the principle is still the same, surely, because he's picking up on the uh, on the on the original law and on the fact that M- Moses was prepared to, or God was prepared to permit a divorce certificate. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Mm. Uh, now, what do you say to someone who is listening who has been through a horrible divorce? We need to recognise how awful it is. No, no one kind of goes through a divorce and says, well, that was a great experience. You know, let me get remarried so I can get divorced again. You know, everyone that goes through a divorce says, no, it was awful and I don't want it. I didn't want that. I didn't want to go through that. But at the same time, it's the, it's the reality of the world at, at, at times is that there are relationship breakdowns for, for various reasons and we need to recognise that that's, that that's just the reality of things are. Nobody wants that uh, and we should try hard you know, in marriages not to, to, to go through that but at the, at the same time when it does happen, we say, yep, okay, this has happened, how do we, how do we move forward in this and how do we seek reconciliation and how do we kind of keep going as human beings Mm. verses 13 to 16 and we have more children again now and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them and the disciples rebuked them but when jesus saw it he was indignant and said to them let the children come to me do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of god truly i say to you whoever does not receive the kingdom of god like a child shall not enter it and he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. It was a beautiful passage, really. Um, now, here, how do we see here again that the kingdom is something to be given, not taken? Well, what, what we're seeing is uh, kind of it's this continuation of the children, isn't it, that we, mm. that we have seen uh, in a couple of the previous passages, particularly at the end of chapter 9. But look at what Jesus says. Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. So he's not saying that it's children that are receiving the kingdom. He says something similar in chapter 9, doesn't he? But uh, it's it's people coming with openness mm. to Jesus. And again, it's the it's the receiving of that. What do kids love, love to to receive they love to receive gifts right and so i think that's kind of part of what, what it is is that they openly accept things particularly gifts uh and so um you know when they when they're coming to jesus that they're receiving something from him rather than taking they've got nothing to give what have they got to give jesus mm-hmm. nothing mm-hmm. Uh, and but jesus has something to give to them to what extent then are we all called to be childlike i think i think it's in that sense that Children have nothing to give, and so that's what Jesus is asking us to see, that we are actually all, all children in that sense, that what have we got to give to God? We don't have anything that, that, that um, you know, he, does, he, he needs. And so 
what what is it that we need to we need to approach God in that way, empty-handed, saying, "My works, my career, whatever it is, they are nothing. Uh, I have nothing, Lord. You are the only one that can accept me and give me something." Can small children be saved then? Surely, yep. Uh, and and I think that can happen. Kind of in you know everyone's experience is different of salvation, and I think that happens in 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 different ways. That some people, some children, just always they they from from birth you know kind of know God and and mm-hmm. and you know taught as as children kind of and grow up in that. Others have a point where they kind of are converted in, in that, and for all of us that's different. But I think you know talking to, to people that have grown up in, in Christian families, some of them will say, no, there's never been a point where I, I um, kind of thought that I, that I didn't follow Jesus. You know, I always have. I've always thought that. Mm. Okay, let's move on. Uh, the rich young man. Ah, this is interesting. Verse 17. And as you're reading through to 31. And as he was sitting, sitting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. This man's on about works, isn't he? And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. We've got to have persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So we see this upside down kingdom imagery playing out again here. In in what ways is the rich young man here trying to take the kingdom for himself? Well, isn't that that's what exactly what works do? So when we try to um, say to God, "Hey, here are my works. I deserve to be in this kingdom." What we're trying to do is take it because we've earned it. Uh, where Jesus is saying that no, it's the exact opposite to that. Yeah. How would this rich man have been viewed within Judaism, Ian? He would have been highly respected. Uh, he's rich, which which would mean he's blessed by God. That that would, was often the view that rich people were particularly blessed by God. It calls him a, you know, a young ruler in other in other places, doesn't it? Mm. Uh, but so he's he's a guy that's well respected. Probably would be respected in the synagogue. Uh, and when people see him around, they would probably want to be his friend, uh, and so, or you know, at least want to know him. And so, this, this young guy would be a, a respected young man, who other people would kind of treat uh, in a special way. Why does Jesus say what he does there to the man in verse twenty-one? He really pushes him, doesn't he? 
Well, Jesus gets right to the heart of his issue straight away. Jesus understands the thing that, that, that that's his problem. Now, he's not saying to everyone, go and sell everything uh, that you have. Yes, because this passage has been misinterpreted through the centuries, um, yeah. particularly during the early years. Yeah, and I, I've, I've met a group of people um, who were evangelizing on the street who took this seriously. They lived in... in Basically, they lived on the street uh, because they'd sold everything to, to kind of follow this this kind of principle. But this is specific to this man. And Jesus is he's, he's using again, he, Jesus loves to use kind of hyperbole to kind of prove his point. And he's using it to say to the man, hey, you've got your investment is in the wrong thing. It's in yourself and it's in the things that you own. You, you're invested in what you have. Uh, and that means that you cannot actually receive the kingdom until you get rid of everything that you're invested in in what you have you won't be able to receive the kingdom does jesus know the man is unwilling to give up his wealth probably yeah um, i think that's why he, he, this is why he pushes he pushes the man you know kind of um but the offer is there isn't it you know kind of this is what jesus jesus is offering the kingdom what's what's worth more all of your worth or this kingdom that we all all kind of seek and want. Mm. Now, what, what what's really going to be worth more to you? What are we all required to give up for for the kingdom? Then, do you think? Well, I think it's going to be different for all of us, but ultimately, it's our very selves. This man, his identity, everything about who he who he is, is invested in his wealth and his status. And what Jesus is saying, particularly the the come follow me, means he gives up his status. Uh, and comes and listens to this rabbi and follows his rabbi as kind of in, in a travelling homeless troop, basically. And so, that, that's the bigger question that we all of us need to ask: is what are, what are we uh, as human beings invested in that we wouldn't give up for the kingdom? Yeah. Why will we receive persecutions there in verse thirty-one? And we get lots of blessings uh, if we if we give up everything for Jesus. We get blessings, but we also get persecutions on top of that, on top of the blessings. Is it, is it the counterpoint to the receiving? You know, kind of the I hear all these blessings, but also along with that is kind of persecutions. That if you want to be in this kingdom, uh, you will be standing against uh, the powers of this world, and particularly Satan. And so, along with that, what is you know, Satan doesn't like that. And so, what does he do? He he, he, he wants to persecute. He wants to wants to harm the church. He wants to harm God's people. Uh, he knows that he can't beat them, so he wants to harm them. In what sense will the first be last and the last first? Well, this is kind of the way that the upside down kingdom works. Is that what Jesus is doing? Is saying that the the people in this world look like that they're first, that they're gaining, they're growing. And you see this all through the Psalms, you know, kind of that, Lord, why why are the wicked prospering? Why are they doing this? Uh, and what's the answer to that is wait and see what what is really going on in this world. Wait to see when these things get revealed that they're actually, they've given up their very selves to gain those things when in fact the people who are poor, the people who are, are faithfully serving God and even though that doesn't get them ahead, uh, they are the ones who will receive great blessing and riches in the, in the new life. You, you mentioned, I think, in your uh, sermon that you, Jesus will never ask us to go somewhere that he hasn't been. What, what did you mean by that? Well, isn't this what we're seeing here in this passage, is that the one who literally has given up the universe uh, in, in terms of being the ruler of the universe, he gives that up. For what? To become a servant of all of humanity. 
Uh, and he, we're about to see that as he goes to his death and, res- and goes to his death and, and, the, and the, uh, the trouble that that is uh, and also the, the pain that he has to go through in receiving hell into himself. What does he give up? He, he has everything. He, he is the master of the universe. He, go, he comes to this earth to, to, and gives up all of that. And so there's nothing that, that he didn't have uh, that we have and can't give up, you know, kind of because he's the one that had everything. What we have uh, in comparison to what he has is just insignificant, really. And so the opportunity to, to say, Lord, you have everything. You gave that everything up. Uh, what I have, whether it's riches or career or whatever it is, will I be willing, willing to give that up for you? Well, that's the question that we need to ask ourselves, mm-hmm. isn't it? All right, thank you. Uh, the Reverend Ian Reed Rido of King's Grace Presbyterian Church, Palmerston, North New Zealand. Thank you for your time. And thank you once again to our sponsors, Liquid Edge, who sponsor this podcast and who take care of things behind the scenes. Ian, thank you so much. Thank you, Brent. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. If you want to help us make more great episodes like this one, you can head over to our Patreon page and become a God Story Podcast supporter. You'll receive our undying gratitude plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support. Just visit patreon.com slash godstorypodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash godstorypodcast. As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, godstorypodcast.com.